At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And by the time you get done writing that down, which is just a counterpoint to your own point, you're quickly going to realize that Strickland got his hand raised and everything that you just said is a mute point anyway, genius. guys happy friday and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome so usually in the fight business we spend monday and tuesday talking about the previous saturday then we move on to the next saturday but guys i still have so many thoughts that i want to give you about what happened last weekend we're going to get into that on today's show let's keep on talking about the middleweights because dreeky's duplissy has called me stupid so I need to defend myself. I also have to talk to you about the 185-pound title picture and who I believe the middleweight GOAT is. A lot to talk about on today's show, everyone. Let's start here. I feel like Izzy lost that fight more than Sean Strickland won that fight. I feel like if you run that fight back, there's no way Sean Strickland gets his hand raised again. Now, here is where I will tell you the author of the statement, and I would generally preface it by saying don't make fun of people with special needs. Or I would say, I swear that person doesn't have special needs. Or I remind you not to think things like, that's a really, and it starts with an R to describe somebody's stupidity. That was insane. That was done by Ian Gary. I couldn't believe it. Was it a drunk Ian Gary? I don't think so. He looked perfectly sober. Like, that is just not an analysis. You go watch Izzy and you go watch Sean fight. It's a one-sided ass-kicking. The whole thing comes to an end. And Ian Gary believes that it wasn't Sean that did a great job. It was Izzy that beat up himself. At what point? At what point, Ian Magato Cherry, can I go back and look into that fight and find Israel Adesanya punching himself in the face or kicking himself or about the time that he was down? When can I find his, his legs get tripped and he decides to flat back and get swarmed until he comes back up to his feet again? Like, what within that fight do you possibly mean you think that Izzy beat himself? And I know it's a fun thing to say. It's generally passed down from father to son because the father is the supportive one. It's not passed, just so you know, Ian Machado, Gary, it's not passed by you in this side of the world to Israel in this side of the world. Front seat to the back seat, upstairs to the downstairs. And the reason it's done like that, it's a coping mechanism. And the reason it's not your place to cope is you're not his people, not to mention that was a really stupid thing to say. You feel if they run it back. So now before, before I can even let you go with you feel if they run it back, you feel with the statement that Daniel Cormier coined against Curtis Blades, which was run it back, you feel under those guises that Izzy could beat him again. Well, how is he going to do better? How about that, Mr. Fighter? If you're a fighter and you understand the sport so well, what is it that Izzy should do? Should he step left instead of fainting right? Should he throw with the right while fainting with the left? 
Should it be more hands followed by more kicks? Should it be less kicks followed by more hands? Should there be a takedown in there? What in God's name did you see that you think that if you saw it again would get flipped? So that's just the easy side. Right? That's just the Izzy side of Sean Chi and Ian Machado Gary's breakdown. Just the Israel side. He then also gives a side to Sean Strickland. Now, what would that be? If Sean Strickland was not the one throwing the ones and the twos and the kicks, who does Ian Machado Gary suggest was? If Sean Strickland was not the one walking him down, cutting him off, bump, 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 piecing him up, slipping out of the way when something came back, who does Ian Machado Gary suggest was? And if they do a rematch, it will be totally different. Well, that's a totally different conversation. Like, if your way of proving this silly and ridiculous statement that you just put out, where you got cliches from all over the fighting world, none of which you created on your own, but if your way of proving that to be true is to rematch them and get a different outcome, and then you could sit back and go, see, I told you, well, not really. That's called a prediction. Predictions come from guys hanging around the water cooler. You're a fighter giving an analysis and a breakdown. I'm a fighter that gives analysis and breakdowns. I have the foggiest idea what you just said. So run it back because I know about Scott Smith and Robbie Lawler. I know what that means. You're going to do the fight again. Fine. And it was more what Izzy did than it was what Strickland did. I understand that concept too. They happen all the time on one-offs. This wasn't a one-off. This was a 25-minute contest. Which is why you didn't take the time to say in round one at this moment or in round four at this moment. You had to use them all. So what is it that Izzy needs to do less of to harm himself less? And what is it that Sean Strickland would need to do more of to help himself more? And by the time you get done writing that down, which is a counterpoint to your own point, you're quickly going to realize that Strickland got his hand raised. Strickland got his hand raised and everything that you just said is a mute point anyway. Genius. Sonia sucks. Now, what took so long, by the way? I mean, it was almost 24 hours before I read that headline, and it happens every time. Like, it will not matter how good you were, how successful you were, that is never not going to bite you in your ass. One piece of evidence, one film, that guy's terrible. And I will tell you, as crazy as that sounds, that is a real piece of the psychology, and I've even seen it go the other way. Like, I do remember walking the streets when Kimbo Slice was the baddest dude alive. Rest his soul. But people did talk about that. They saw him on Saturday night. He was in a main event. There's a whole bunch of people there. He knocked somebody out in the first round. He must be really great. Like, that is how the human mind works. And then you guys, myself, we get together each day, and we're more of hardcore fans, right? Like, we know history, and we know how they got there, and we know what their resumes were. We know the story going in, and we know it was a Southpaw versus an Orthodox, and that right hand was going to be a problem to start with. Like, they got five common opponents, and this guy beat all five of them, and this guy beat three of them. Like, we know those things, but other people don't. And what you see in that moment is the story. That is the reality, and you can't get around it. So when you look at Israel Adesanya, and you look at this matchup, see, my stock for Israel went up. I like a gentleman, and I really like a good sport. I've had people question my sportsmanship. I coach kids. I had a father 
of one of the kids I was coaching send me an email. Now, this is back in 2009. He's not going to bring his kid to me anymore because he believes in sportsmanship and he's seen my interviews and all of my trash talk. And I remember being greatly offended by that. And I answered him, right, as a parent, he's looking out for his son, even though I go every single day and coach his son for absolutely free. I remember thinking, well, you, you are the one that's right here. If you believe in sportsmanship, that's true. I'm not in a sport anymore. I, I'm not in the fight sport. I'm in the fight business. There's a different way that we do this business. And I tried to explain that to him. And I saw him a couple more times in my life, and then he was gone. And I kept going in. I kept coaching other people's kids for free. And I, I just bring it to your attention because there is a code. And when are you a bad sport? In my opinion, it's very tough to be a bad sport prior to the sporting event. Bad sportsmanship, per the definition, as I understand it, comes after the event and more commonly seen in defeat. You could be a bad sport in Victor, but the sport has to happen and then your reaction to it. This is Chael's opinion. But that's my interpretation of my understanding. I don't think anything that you do prior to the match is going to get put in the category of bad sportsmanship. So when I tell you that Adesanya went up, it did for me. I thought he was a real gentleman about it. I thought he showed a lot of class about it. Records are made to be broken. And you never know the night. You never not know the night. You never know the time. You never know when that's going to go. The odds makers don't know and the arena doesn't know. And you and the guy, when you walk out there, you both are hiding some kind of secret from the other guy. But if he gets his nod, either way, you tip your hat and you walk away. And I just felt like that's what Adesanya did so well. Let me give you guys a great example. Michael Phelps. Have you heard of Michael Phelps? Michael Phelps was an Olympic sensation. It was like 21 medals, 21 gold medals. I mean, it's just something insane. Even if my number's wrong, it was something crazy. In the process of winning all of these Olympic medals, he was setting world and Olympic records. Now, to have a world and or Olympic record or to beat a world and or Olympic record doesn't mean that you did something faster than the other person did. It means you did something faster than the other person did at world or Olympic competition. So it's not an easy thing to do. If I'm faster than Michael Phelps and I could go prove it to you, I don't get his record. I would. I can't do that in the neighborhood pool. I can't do it in a high school. I can't even do it in the NCAA. I have to do it specifically at a world and Olympic event. And this guy put so many records away. It would seem like nobody's ever going to catch him, right? Now, that's a broad stroke. That kind of just means your lifetime or anytime soon or a generation. He doesn't have any records left. Michael Phelps had all of his records beaten. All those world records. He gets to keep the medal. He's still the champion. But those times that had ever been done have now been outdone. And the last record just went. It was recently. And when it went, Michael Phelps was there and he was on the headset. And would you like to know what he did? Would you like to know how he handled that? It was like a 15-year-old kid beats his record. Something along these lines. Would you like to know what he did? took the headset off, and he stood up, and he clapped. That's what he did. There's an honor in it. And I must tell you, there was no part of Little Chael over here in my little chair that I thought I'd be making a Michael Phelps piece. But there was even less of a chance I'd be making a Michael Phelps piece had he not done that. There's a way that you pass the torch, and there's also an honor in it. That young man that went out and swam faster than Phelps did, don't think for a millisecond that he wasn't envisioning Michael Phelps for a meaningful period of time. 
Don't think that Michael Phelps and his legacy and all the things he did didn't somehow inspire that young man and his family to skip the parties, to sacrifice, to go to practice, to come up with the dues, to listen to the coaches. I mean, not for nothing, Phelps is tied to that. And it's not a matter that you erase Phelps' name. You put a guy's name over the top of it. And someday that guy's number will be up and somebody will beat him too. And they'll beat him because that person, this young 15-year-old, inspired them in some regard. So it, it really doesn't matter what Sean Strickland said or did or what hats he put on or what he wanted to call Izzy. Sean Strickland wanted to be like Izzy. Whether he would ever word it like that or not, Izzy was somebody that Sean aspired to be like. And if you want to talk about idolized, you're talking about more strong words, but it's still a compliment all the same. And Izzy was still in a position that Sean would lay his head down on his pillow at night and envision himself being in. So for Sean to go out and succeed and take that position, there's only one way that you handle that. You tip your hat and you walk away. And maybe you get an opportunity down the road. Maybe now Sean's in a position that Izzy has to look up to and Izzy wants to get at. You can figure those things out later. But I bring that to you because when I saw the headline that Israel Adesanya sucks, it bothered me. Jerikas Duplessis has attacked me. How do you like that? Jerikas Duplessis goes on Ariel's show, and they both attacked me for that matter. Are you ready for what he said? Chael says a lot of stupid things. That came out of his mouth. That came out of Drikas's mouth. Chael, that's me, that's my name, says a lot of stupid things. Ariel backed him up. Ariel repeated the words back to him. Yeah, Chael says a lot of stupid things. I don't see it that way. I don't see myself as the guy that goes around and says stupid things. So it caught me off guard. I mean, I got to tell you, that surprised me. I know in my heart who I am. I'm a Drikas fan. I feel that I'm a Drikas supporter. I don't know anyone that covers him more. I don't know anyone that has ever laid out the Drikas timeline, which dates back to December 10th of last year when he was on an undercard. Bo Nickel, who was making his debut, was on the main card. Drikas lost his mind. Said, that's not right. I'm better than him. I've been here longer than him. He's debuting in my weight class on the same card, and he has a feature match. Any part of you's got a problem with what I'm saying, put me in there with him. I'll actually fight him. It was powerful. It was cool, by the way. And I covered it. That fight fell apart. The bone nickel fight fell apart. They had to adjust the card. They pulled Drikas right up. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. It was a great example, but it was also a feel-good moment. It was somebody that was fighting for something, what this whole thing's supposed to be about. These guys get signed to the UFC. They forget that it's about fighting. They won't fight for headlines. They won't fight for attention. They won't fight for spots on a car. They won't fight an opponent that they think is going to be a difficult problem. Right? They become the opposite of fighters. But here we got this guy, and he starts fighting, and he makes it. This is from December 10th until present time. All the way to number one contender. Not only is he main card, he is main event. That's just the story the way that it happened. Now, if I was mad at Dorikas, I couldn't tell the story any other way. Because that's what happened. Now, let's back up to the case in point where he's saying that Chael says stupid things. And he got Ariel to agree with him. Dorikas Duplessis, making his rise, wants to get to Adesanya. 
They got this incredible angle that's so hot, reporters are almost scared to touch it, but they're damn sure writing about it and sending it into the editor. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to do the fight. But one way to make Drikas that top contender is if he can get through Whitaker. If he can get through Whitaker, which he probably can't, but if he can, we can't deny, and nobody could deny, that this guy that was on an undercard a number of months ago is now a top draw. So put him in there with Whitaker. People got excited to see the fight, got a feature placement. I believe it was co-main event. My partner's over at DraftKings at bell time had that 3-1 to Whitaker, which made sense. And Jerikas not only beat him, there was a gap. He beat him badly. Jerikas did things to Whitaker that no man had ever done to Whitaker. Jerikas took him down with a headlock, for goodness sakes. Jerikas outstruck him. He pushed the pace on him. It was wonderful. There was no way to deny that he was the number one contender. Going into that fight, it was a very unique situation, which is the world was informed going into that fight. Drikas versus Whitaker. The world was informed. There's an event in September. It's in Australia. From a business perspective, it's a brand new television deal that is going to kick off and launch on that date with the UFC. And Dana came out and said, we're going to bring our most reliable star from that region, Israel Adesanya who is going to bring a belt, and his opponent is going to be found out within this contest, Robert Whitaker versus Duplessis. It was a big deal. It was a big deal going in. Because nobody wants to see Whitaker versus Adesanya part three, but you might have to do it, right? Like, there's just not enough bodies. There's not enough guys that could fog a mirror. So we might have to do that. So we're going to tell everybody ahead of time so nobody moans and groans. We're going to identify it. And here's this here's this mouthy guy named Duplessis. Here's a proven commodity that people don't want to watch fight named Whitaker. Let's put them together. One of them goes out here to do the Australia deal. I mean, th- but this is real. This is what happened. If you hit stop right now and you wanted to come and you wanted to call me names, you wanted to call me stupid, which isn't nice. That didn't make me feel good. But if you wanted to call me anything else, you would be inaccurate. I stop talking right now. I have told the story 100% the way that it happened. That fight was a number one contender's fight, unlike any that we've seen. Not only do we know it was a number one contender's fight, which is very rare, we had the date. We had the gymnasium. We had the network. I don't remember a time in UFC history that that's happened. There has been a fight where we've said the winner will fight for the title and we'll all get back to it when we know what that is. We had it. It was all built in. It was all going to draw to this date, okay? To the point that Adesanya was flown to a different continent, sat in the front row, and got in the ring to confront the winner, his now opponent. And when that confrontation happened, and when that confrontation ended, he no longer had an opponent. Now, this is specifically the part that I am being called stupid for. I want to slow, I want to really slow this down so you can think about this, okay? There was a number one contenders fight, the champ's sitting outside, the champ gets into the ring. Joe Rogan, as Izzy's coming up the stairs, announces it's going to be Duplessis versus Adesanya, it's going to be September, it's going to be in Australia. All of these things are true. And then an interview takes place, and when that interview ended, it was no longer Duplessis versus Adesanya. That's the story, and that's the way that I told it. 
I didn't add anything. Now, that would be overshadowed by the fact that somewhere within there, he changes mind. No fighter wants to be called scared. And frankly, I don't fully know what that emotion means. I don't, I don't, I don't fully know what it means. So perhaps if I said he was scared, perhaps it's another word. Intimidated, unwilling, change of mind. I don't think it would make me stupid, though. That would be a reasonable guess. I do know that when he walked out of the ring, Adesanya walked out knowing he was going to fight Duplices in September. When Duplices walked out of the ring, they put a camera on him. He's all sweaty. He's all sweaty. He hasn't even got to the locker room. He hasn't sat down. He hasn't hit a shower yet. He hasn't hugged his mother. He just got out of the ring. They asked him about Adesanya, and he said, let's talk about Robert Whitaker. That happened. That doesn't make me stupid for remembering that. That makes me a fan for remembering that. They've put a camera on lots of guys as they've led the, left the octagon. I couldn't tell you what they said. They put a camera on me every time I left the octagon. I couldn't tell you what I said. I'm a fan of Duplessis. I remember off the top of my head what he said. He then goes into processing. That's where they're going to hand him his money. They're going to say, is there anything wrong with you? And every fighter in history says no, because they don't ever feel anything wrong with them. They're invincible. Ah, they're full of adrenaline. Same answer that he gave. Is there anything wrong with you? The doctor asked him, and he said no. They then handed him his money. He left from there to a locker room for a brief period of time to a press conference. All of those things happened. There's no stupid jail here. All of those things happened. At the press conference, they asked him again about Adesanya, and all of a sudden, he had injuries that he didn't disclose. The last thing that he did before he got to the press conference is he met with a doctor who works at the discretion of the attorney general, who works at the pleasure of the governor. It's public. Everything that I'm telling you is public. Hey, doc, we would like to know what Duplessis told you in that moment. And since we, the taxpayer, paid for it, produce it. And you want to know what they told him? Nothing was wrong. He said nothing was wrong. I believe him. I believe there was nothing wrong. And I've had somebody push back called Red Pill. It was like, it was like this back and forth. And Red Pill said, what, are you saying that he can't feel bad the next day? I'm not saying any of those things. You could feel good or you could feel bad or you could feel indifferent. What I'm saying is, had that interview not happened, had Adesanya not big brothered, and had Adesanya not said those words and created that emotion, then he would have fought him in September. Same as was planned before the fight that everybody knew. Same as the plan was when Adesanya flew to that event and sat in the front row. Same as the plan was when Adesanya walked into the ring. Same as the plan was when Joe Rogan told the world. Fight did not get canceled because of a hurt foot. That fight got canceled because of an interview that created an emotion. And if I have identified that emotion as scared or feared and you disagree, fine. Then tell me the correct word. But don't tell me my accurate assessment of exactly what happened means that I'm stupid. What do you do, right? Middleweight, what do you do? Everybody's talking about this. This seems to be the question that won't go away in terms of is Sean Strickland and Adesanya going to rematch? That question was asked at the post-fight press conference, and I thought my ears heard yes. I thought, got a dog. My buddy Joel's got a dog. We met up on Sunday, and we were running the dogs, and we were throwing the ball, and we were tossing the frisbee, and we were talking about the commitment that was made to the rematch. It's what I thought I heard. It's... What Joel thought he heard. I mean, I only bring that to you because Dana White Contender Series comes and a reporter brings it up and Dana clarifies and says no. 
That wasn't said. There might be a rematch. There might not be a rematch. But there is not a commitment to a rematch. Okay, I heard it wrong. But if you're at middleweight, what do you do? From every single perspective, what is it you're going to do? Now, you must understand, okay, before you answer the question, you must understand, you can't name the match. Doesn't matter if that match is called re. Doesn't matter where that match is coming from. Doesn't matter if Kamara Usman himself moves up into the division or Blahal Mohammed, that's got legitimate heat with Sean Strickland comes out of nowhere and says, you said I was the number one contender. I'm tired of waiting for Colby and Leon. Right, like those are compelling stories. It doesn't matter what you do. You can't do any of them until October 23rd. Why? Because you have a match on October 22nd. And if you state what a rematch is prior to Chimaya and Paulo Costa fighting, you have no ability. You're, you're taking leverage away from yourself. Even if you haven't said Paulo Costa versus Jemayev is for number one contendership, even if you haven't said it, you make the rematch, you lose the ability to say it. Do you guys understand this concept? In case you're wondering why the retee, right? The T, the T is where you've got to plant in the audience and you tell them to ask you a question. If you're wondering why the retee came up to clarify a rematch is not set because it would take away your ability to promote a fight that's very important. And we might not be feeling it, guys. I think we want to see it, and I think we're going to have some fun, and I think we're looking forward to it. But I don't think you could go any further as a North American fan for Paulo Costa versus Jumaev and other parts of the world. This is massive, and it's something that you're not able to relate to. And there's a strong belief that that's your number one contenders match. There's even been a statement made, whoever Chemayev's next opponent is, if they win, Chemayev, as long as he dropped 170 and gets a win here at 85, Chemayev will fight for the belt. I understand those things. But Paulo Costa was also pulled off of the Salt Lake card after training camp was done. The history of the UFC, I can't tell you a time that that's happened. If it's happened, I couldn't produce the time for you. So I believe to sweeten the pot, you would have to tell Paulo Costa the same thing. So now you got two guys that are getting ready to fight. They're getting ready to go into a media tour. They're training to the highest of levels. If they come out and they find out there's a rematch at their very weight class for the prize that they think beating this man gets me, it's a problem. So do you understand why the necessity for the retee? Do you understand why there was a plant and that question even came up? Do you understand now? Okay. So now that you've got just a sprinkle of smarts to the game, and I ask you what you're going to do at middleweight, it wouldn't matter who you are, if you are promoter or fighter, what do you do? Because one thing that Adesanya has done better than anybody is he has told us who's next for him. Israel Adesanya has never fought an opponent since being champion that he didn't pick, that he didn't identify. Before the bout agreements came, before the handshakes were done, before the other team was called and everybody sat down and did whatever it is that they do, Adesanya let us know who it was going to be. That includes Sean Strickland. As a matter of fact, they tried to get in the way of the Sean Strickland fight six weeks ago, and it was Adesanya who got on the phone from Australia and put the fight back together. A lot of you know that, but I'm reminding this to a lot of you as well, because Adesanya hasn't asked for much, but he has made it clear that he wants parity. He has beat the division, and he has lapped the division, and he's getting ready to go ahead and have to do it a third time. 
You're talking about what George St. Pierre had to do. You're talking about what Kamara Usman had to do. You're talking about what nobody else has ever been even willing to do. I mean, this is very untouched waters that Izzy is in. But Izzy does want parity nonetheless. So who out there has he not fought? Well, he hasn't fought Jemayev, by example, top guy. And he hasn't fought Duplessis, for example. So if you've got this Chamaya Paulo Costa fight coming up, and Sean and Chamaya are buddies. Sean doesn't have a lot of them, but he's buddies with Chamaya. They used to train together all the time. I mean, it makes for a little bit of an awkwardness for a fight. So what? There's only so many gyms. We can rinse our hand and be done with it. But I'm just sharing with you, if you're in the spot of Sean, you got one job, to make the most money with the easiest opponent. So Sean does have hand here to weigh in. He can continue with the, oh, I don't care. I'll fight absolutely any of them. He can. Or he can also copy the guy that he just took his belt and start to lean in one direction. If he stays completely silent, they are going to make that match a number one contender's match. The entire point of clarifying that Izzy and Sean are not guaranteed a rematch is to preserve the right to promote and elevate Paulo Costa versus Chemayev. Whether that happens or not, you've preserved the right. You haven't taken it away from yourself. You gotta understand that concept. You gotta understand that perfectly clear because if you're in Sean's spot, and you think Duplessis is the fight, you can go after Duplessis right now. You've got until October 22nd. And going after Duplessis serves a lot of purpose, which is it doesn't matter if you win or Duplessis wins, it's still parity for Adesanya, at least when you're matched with the fact that they're considered rematching them anyway. But there's not a lot of a different direction that you could go. You couldn't say the same thing for Paulo Costa. You couldn't say it for Marvin Vittori. You couldn't say it for Brunson. You couldn't say it for Jared Cannonier. The one place that you can go where the outcome still preserves the idea of parity for your top draw, who is Adesanya, who we all know is going to get another title shot and should, that would be a very meaningful call out. That would make a lot of sense. It's the number one thing Duplessis has in his favor right now. Duplessis does not have a lot in his favor. It's going to be very tough for Duplessis to go in with Sean Strickland. Just the history of the organization says, I can't put you in with a guy so that you can take what he's got when he went and took it from a guy that you weren't willing to go and take it from. It's, it's just one of those deals. But he's got parity on his side. And that is something that people are looking for, including myself, including Adesanya. So you got to make these moves now. I'm just sharing with you what's happening and why it's happening. Why do we have the reti? Why do we have the clarity? It's extremely important that we don't have a title fight yet for Sean or it would reduce what in the hell Paulo Costa and Chemayev are even fighting for. Football is back in full swing with another week of epic games. And who's got you covered on the action? For every single one of them, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet $5 on football and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Nobody's missing out on all the action this season. All DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Get in on the NFL Week 2 action with DraftKings Sportsbook. All you got to do is download the app. Go do it right now. Use the promo code CHAIL when you sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code CHAIL. 
the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to number 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility, terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Guys, the number one question I get asked all the time, what's the most important habit you can build on to be successful? You know what my answer is? Sleep. I am no sleep expert, but I can tell you that for myself, I perform at my optimum level mentally and physically when I'm getting regular deep sleep. And honestly, that hasn't always been easy. This is where Momentous Sleep Pack comes in. Momentous experts created a natural ingredient combination that will help you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and wake up refreshed. The ingredients are so clean that they're used by the best Olympians, pro athletes, and college teams. Momentous Sleep Pack has every certification under the sun, including being NSF certified. I usually take a pack 30 minutes before bed and boom, I wake up feeling like a million bucks. If you're having trouble sleeping and it's affecting your daily performance, I highly recommend Momentous Sleep Pack. Designed by the world's best experts, used by the world's best teams and athletes, and made for all of us, guys. Go to livemomentous.com. Use the promo code CHAIL. That's going to get you 20% off your first order. That's livemomentous.com. Use the promo code CHAIL. Greatest of all time. It's such, it's such an important conversation to have. It's an important thing to have one time, get it established, get it established by the right and the right credible person and move on. And then you can do beautiful things with it. I've seen this down. I've been, I've been to a number of boxing gyms, but they'll cut it out and they'll put the guy, they'll put pound for pound and they'll put him here and what year and they'll put him here and the world champion overall and they'll put him here and it kind of goes around the gym and it doesn't get a lot of attention, but there is a place to look. And if that is a debate that you ever find yourself in, like at least there's somewhere that you can go to get the answer. So a big one that's come out, and this this isn't new. This has been out, but it's something that you can't have while Adesanya's champion. Like, right, all artists get better after death. Can we agree? Even if it's the death of a career or the death of an era, those things have to happen. So when Adesanya still had the championship, it was very hard to compare him and Anderson Silva. Now, not for me. It wasn't for me. They fought. They fought head to head. I watched it. I was annoyed when people would push back and tell me that wasn't Anderson in his prime. First off, Anderson looked really, really good that night. And secondly, in his prime, when Anderson started to get out of his prime, he started to get taken down. There was things that you could see that old Anderson wouldn't do. And this fight was completely standing up. Not only was it completely standing up, 
it was tit for tat. Anderson didn't even won a round, according to the judges, right? It was two rounds to one round. It was a very close and competitive fight. One thing about Anderson, and I, I tried to bring it up anymore. I used to bring it up when I was trying to fight, but I tried to bring it up anymore, but he had, he had won 12 fights in a row. But of those 12 guys, I was the only guy that was still under contract with the company. I think there's a relevance in that, right? You want to compare eras. You don't need to compare you won 12 in a row and then look at Izzy and say that you won seven fights. Well, if you won seven fights over much better competition, we won't even have to get into how good these competitions that Anderson Silva took on. We'll just let you know that of the 12, only one of them was still under contract, which was me. Of the guys that Izzy beat, every single tied to fight that Izzy has ever had, and I do mean all of them, are still all under contract, are still ranked in the top 10, and are still doing interviews and media and have a good part of the population behind them pushing them back into another title fight. That is a completely different era. It's a completely different era. Now... If somebody has the right to come out and share an opinion on this, it would be Michael Bisping. Michael Bisping called one of Izzy's very first fights. It might have been his first on Dana White Contender Series. But it was one of his very first ones. So one against Marvin Vittori, just by example. And thought, Bisping thought he saw the blueprint for how to beat him. Gave himself some confidence because people are always going to ask, you know, how would you do against this guy? I'm just sharing for you. And Michael Bisping studied Anderson the better part of his career. Michael Bisping fought Anderson, which was, was such a mega fight, they used it to kick off a network. The network was called UFC Fight Pass. So two very massive experiences. And Michael Bisping came to the conclusion that there were two different eras, but that there is not yet a comparison that it is still Anderson Silva. That's a really sweet thing to say. I'm just trying to figure out how, how do we get to that conclusion. The sport was still forming very much so. I, I remember when people will say Ronda Rousey was the greatest women's fighter ever. It's, well, she, along with five other girls, said, I will fight in that division. So as it started to get worked out, what we found out is the ones we had as our top contenders were nowhere near our top contenders. And then eventually got revealed to us, she that we had as champion was nowhere near the best. It was just the girls that we had at this time. And I don't want to put down Anderson by any means. But I do want to recognize what I'm seeing within Adesanya. I do want to juxtapose that with the opinion of Michael Bisping. And, and overarchingly, I guess I'm going to answer the question for you. On everything that you have just seen about the middleweight division and all the discussion, all the talk, and as much as is now at the four tier, the greatest middleweight of all time clearly is me. Conor McGregor, Michael Chandler, how would you guys handle that? If you've, if you've got a magic wand to weigh over this and you can do one thing, that one thing's going to happen, but that one thing has to then drive towards the fight, what would it be? What would you do? It's a colossally confusing situation. Like, if there's ever been a fight that doesn't matter, it's that one. If there's ever been a fight that we've been promised, that we've been looking forward to, that's a big deal, that had the hype, that had the marketing, that had the machine behind it, that you're going to set aside time, it's that one. 
Everybody wants to see this fight that has absolutely no consequence. Generally, those things don't go together, but you have to understand that part. I don't say that to be rude. I say that because it takes three people to make a fight. You got Connor, you got Chandler, you got the organizers. This fight is about nothing. So that takes an incentive away from the organizers. The one, right, you've got three pieces. Make sure you understand that because you're always going to have a weak link. You need to identify what that link is and you need to strengthen him. High tide raises all shit. You don't want to go out and bury him. I mean, I'm watching Logan Paul do everything that he can possibly think to do to get Dylan Dennis to not do the fight. Now, I mean, we can digress and go in that conversation another time. What I'm sharing is you still got to strengthen if you're going to be partners. If Chandler and McGregor fight, nothing happens to the UFC. Maybe it was a good night. Maybe use it for marketing. Maybe you make a few dollars. But I'm stating the obvious. So when it's so obvious, we don't have to state it. So I'm going to come back to my original premise, which is nothing happens. There's never been a fight that matters less. The rankings committee on Tuesday isn't sitting around going, I got to have that one come in. DraftKings isn't sitting around going, I got to draw the line. I just, I got to see. Boy, is that Usada pool? Is that cleared up yet? Like nothing happens. The rankings don't get affected. The winner of that fight doesn't go into the Hall of Fame because of that fight. The loser of that fight doesn't get cut for losing that fight. The winner of that fight doesn't go on to fight for a title. It would have no consequence at all to the extent that it doesn't even matter what weight class they fight at. When Connor's out there trolling and saying 185, do it at 185, do it at 8, do it at 5, miss weight, make a weight up. It doesn't make any bit of difference. That's the bad news. Like when Connor's coming out and saying, I'll do it at 185 pounds and people are, are like retweeting and you, and you feel the tweets like starting to die. They're starting to get less and less and it's starting to get smaller and smaller, but it was inconsequential to start with. I'm not looking to be a dick about this. I'm sharing with you. It takes three people. Because I feel like so, somebody here is missing what's going on. So I'm doing the best I can to hold class in session. Takes three. Takes Connor, takes Chandler, takes the UFC. Doesn't affect Connor's life. Like the mortgage and or college tuition or anything that you would want to talk about why a guy would fight is not affected because of this fight at all for McGregor. So how do you incentivize him? How do you make him do it? How do you force him to enter the USADA pool? How do you force that clock to get started? Well, you can have pressure. You can have outside pressures, but that's where you would need number three. You would need number three to come in and see a reason to do it, but it doesn't affect a ranking or anything else. So what is it that you would do if you get one play and it's going to be observed, but that play is to drive you to that fight? What is your one play going to be? And I will tell you, there's nothing about Michael Chandler accepting another fight or going and doing another fight that would affect Conor McGregor. It's been stated that Conor's next fight will be Chandler. Chandler's never said my next fight's going to be Conor. Maybe I'll do a fight. Maybe I'll do two. I mean, in the period of time from the time that fight was announced till now, he could have done two fights. And here we are, fresh as a daisy, ready to take on Conor. It wasn't ranking-based. It wasn't title-based. It wasn't related to a draw or the division. It quite literally doesn't even have a weight class. And if you're going to make it at 185, you're going to make it at 155, or just stop. Nobody watches the weigh-ins anyway. Like, that's not a single thing that anybody cares about. It really doesn't matter what division you fight at when you're not a contender's match. So if you're not a contender's match, why make 155 unless you both want to do it? Why make 185? Why make 170? What difference does it make? And there once was a time where it was pretty important that they fought. It was promised to the crowd. It was a, it, it was a jingle, giant cherry on top of this beautiful Sunday. But the ultimate fighter is behind us. That's done. Those contracts are issued. The trophies are given out.
good men and women at the production team have moved on and they're looking for the next ultimate fighter. Like, like if you couldn't get it done then, when you would actually have an incentive, which is you told everybody this is how we're going to culminate this, if you couldn't do it then and you've turned the page to move on, why would you go back and do it? And I'm just speaking to the third factor, right? You got Connor, you got Chandler, and then you got the UFC. Like, what would the incentive there be? And so you better damn well find one. It's not up to you guys. You had better damn well find a reason for doing this fight. It's about the cash. We all understand that. You can never say it's about the cash. The guy that runs for president wants the power. He can never win a campaign if he comes out and tells you, I'm doing this because I want the power. There are certain things that you have to hide and you have to guise. Didn't you do it better than the other guy? And the fact that they're moving and jumping weight classes as though it matters. What difference does it make if you fight at 185? What difference does it make if they don't weigh you in? What difference does it make if you fight at heavyweight? What difference does it make? What's put down? What difference does it make if you fight at 145 and you come in and you miss weight? There's no scenario out there where there could be anything interesting or compelling or relevant to what weight class they fight at. There's nothing that affects the rankings. There's nothing that the outcome of this match does. Nothing. I mean zero. I don't mean just a little bit. I mean nothing. Conor McGregor's next opponent is going to be Michael Chandler, should Conor McGregor have another opponent. That can be true at the same time that Michael Chandler's next opponent is not going to be Conor McGregor. Both of those statements can be true at the same time. And if one of those guys wants to fight more than the other one does, they need to understand it's not about getting his agreement or my agreement. We've already got that. There's a third factor here. Once upon a time, they were very motivated to make this fight and didn't. Now they're much less motivated to make that fight. But you continue to think they will. Valentina Shevchenko is back. She's back up. She is going to be fighting Alexa Grasso, the champion. Alexa Grasso is the champion of the world. Valentina Shevchenko will be the challenger. And many interesting things on this from my perspective, but I find Valentina to be very interesting. One of the interesting things, I don't know of a time, in fact, I don't believe there was a time when Valentina was a champion of the world that she may have been at a card. I don't believe that's true. I have not done research and gone and looked it up. I'm relying off of my memory, but I can't remember a time. I can't think of who the opponent would have been. There's a little piece of me that tells me that Valentina versus Amanda Part 2 is a championship match, but I don't think it was Valentina's championship. And at any rate, whether I'm right or I'm wrong, it is a fascinating concept that as challenger... She's at the top of the card, a place that she was not as champion. I think that's fascinating, whether you want to agree with me or not. Now, Valentina Shevchenko speaks allegedly seven languages. So she would have a, a wild capability to communicate with Earth. With all sorts of pockets of Earth. Like this would be the busiest media darling in the history of sport, for no other reason than she would have the ability to communicate. I, I could only dream. I could only dream that I could speak seven different languages. And then I could only fantasize 
with what I would do with that power. Now, that isn't happening here, but it could. And when you have two fighters that are fighting for no reason other than competitive nature, which is what this sport is based on, right? The whole sport started, the genesis was competition, where we've grown in what we call the entertainment era. But that was reaching. That wasn't what it was about. That's what, not what this was meant to be in the very first place in 1993. It was meant to be about the competition. So now we've come back to that. And it's a very exciting thing. And Alexa Grosso is this awesome fighter. And when you have Alexa Grosso that speaks a language, and if I'm wrong, she might speak too, but you understand my point. And then you have Valentina, who is the champion, and she set the world on fire, and she has the ability to communicate with Earth. Like, you know for sure you're going to have hype, and you're going to have a buildup. And all hype and a buildup is, like, they're not your mama jokes, and they're not talking trash. That's what a stupid person says. Oh, you're good at talking trash. You don't need anybody to talk trash. You just need them to talk. They can be very matter-of-fact. If you have a person that is interesting, they could read a takeout menu from your local Chinese restaurant, and present it to you in an entertaining way if you have somebody who is interesting. So imagine if you're so interesting that you became the champion of the world in one of the most difficult sports that there is, and then you have the ability to communicate that same message seven different ways. That would really be an incredible thing. But when you have people that don't have that ability, you then have to turn to the outsiders, and that's okay. That's how this whole thing started. You'll turn to a media member. So let's just get this perfectly clear. The bullet and what she has done to build this and make this interesting is a goose egg. Fine. Fine. Goose egg times seven. But anything times zero is still zero. Fine. Let's go to the champion, Grasso. And we've done everything that we could do to have that belt taken on Valentina because she couldn't draw flies to start. We did everything that we could do, but we finally found the person to do it, Alexa Grasso. So what has she done to build interest? Now, you have to understand her ability to do a good job in garnering interest is going to be judged with one thing, and it's going to be judged in front of the world. Does she do an immediate rematch? If she had those kinds of skills to garner interest, she would have stayed as far away from the bullet as possible. She would not have given her the immediate rematch. She might have got away with one, but either way, it was in the rear view. And if she had any skill, she would have brought somebody else up and she'd have kicked that ladder down behind her when she got in the loft. But she didn't. There wasn't even discussion of that. It was the bullet. It was the bullet the entire time. So now we know what we've got with Grosso and we know what we've got with the bullet times seven. I'm not being a jerk about this. I'm attempting to set the stage. I've been talking to you for 4 minutes and 42 seconds about the rematch between Grosso and Valentina, and that's 4 minutes and 42 seconds than anybody else has even attempted. So if you think I'm being a jerk or you don't, either way, those two aren't speaking about it in any of the seven languages that they're capable. So it now brings you to a question of what are the talking heads going to say? What are people like Chael going to say? Well, Chael's going to tell you the truth. And it never really sounds all that nice as it has to do with the bullet. If the bullet is a champion or the bullet is not the champion, nothing changes in the world. If the bullet had the belt, they're not fighting in a different arena. They're not fighting on pay-per-view. They're not fighting with a different supporting cast. The ticket prices don't change. Your level of it, it doesn't change. If she is the champion, if she isn't the champion, everything's the same. 
It will not affect whether you get up and you put on this t-shirt today or you get up and you put on that t-shirt today. It's not going to be a phone call from an aunt that says, I told you so. Nobody told you so. Nobody's talked about it. Like literally nothing in your life would change. Nothing. So let's go to the talking heads and go to Errol Hawani. Errol Hawani spoke about this fight one time when he said, I hope it doesn't happen. And Errol made a great point. Ariel's simple point was, if they rematch and Valentina beats her, down the line, history will look back as though Grosso never held the belt in the first place. The way the timelines and the records will read in the future, you won't be able to see a time that Valentina wasn't champion. And it's an interesting point, and it's a small point, I agree. But it's a fair point. Like, Ariel does make a fair point, and there was a podcast that I watched, and it almost embarrasses me that I watched it. I feel like I'm doing it to you guys right now. There, There is easily, except when I tried to talk about Prohaska Glover to share part two, like, that is the worst numbers that I've ever done. It was, it was, it was shocking. I thought I was a shadow banned. I told my partner, I think I'm shadow banned on YouTube. I could, nobody would talk about it, but, but here's the thing. Got a phone call from Front Row Brian. And I even remember where I was and what I was doing. As a matter of fact, I was doing a podcast, but I happened to be in a studio in downtown Portland. He calls me and says, hey, you got to get over to Joey Diaz's channel right now. So I'm I'm talking to Brian. I'm doing a podcast, and I'm bringing this up online. I'm going, why, why, what? Like, what, what? Since he's asleep. And what do you mean? And Brian goes, Joey Diaz is asleep. He's doing a podcast, and he fell asleep. So the equipment and the audio, it's its all running. It's live right now. I'm watching Joey sleep. And I'm thinking, why would you be watching him sleep? Why would you possibly be there? Until I clicked on it. And I stayed for 53 minutes. It was Joey sleeping. It was Joey doing nothing. Of all the podcasts I've ever seen or I've ever watched, that's one of the most memorable. Of all the times Front Row Brian has called me, I remember where I was for that one. I'm glad that he did call, and I told other people. Afterwards, I followed up on this for almost a month. I would go back to Joey's channel, and not only was he audited, he's publicly audited, and I could see the number. It was one of the top shows that he ever did. And I thought about doing that to you guys today. I mean, I feel like I have done it eight minutes and 22 seconds in. I feel like I have done it. Like, when I'm talking about the bullet and I'm talking about Grosso, I'm talking about nothing. Like, it's the same thing. But I really thought about doing that. I truly thought about putting the bullet versus Grosso. Then the camera was going to come to me, and I was going to be just like Joey Diaz. This is how Joey slept. It was, I was going to be just like Joey Diaz. I wasn't going to tee it up. I wasn't going to say anything to you. It was just going to be this. And then I was going to check the clicks and see how high that was. You're going to juxtapose me taking a nap with the headline of Grosso versus Valentina, with the fight of Valentina versus Grosso, or with the media around Valentina versus Grosso, or to what Valentina said about the fight, or to what Grosso said about the fight, or the fact that Ariel said the fight shouldn't even happen. Like, we're dead even there. We're dead even. And if I was to put my best foot forward to tell you about this fight and why it's must-see TV, my simple words would be... Alright guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And I want to ask all of you to please do me a favor by following this podcast on Spotify and Apple. Thank you. Enjoy the fights on Saturday, guys. And come back on Tuesday to hear me break it all down. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen. And you are welcome. Welcome.